I've got to tell you, you know, we're talking about church rules and, and things that you experienced in your church of origin and how that influences you. And when I walked in today, I walked over and set my coffee down on this table. And then I thought, is it okay to set your coffee down on a table that looks like this? Believe it or not, in the Church of Christ I grew up in, we didn't have tables that looked like this. Uh, we didn't have icons of any type, actually. So um, just to be on the safe side, I'm going to keep my coffee <laughs> over here. Uh, don't want to unintentionally uh, offend. Uh, in just a moment, George is going to come up and uh, continue to lead us in some thoughts through Galatians, uh, and then uh, I'll, I'll join in a little bit later this morning and integrate some thoughts into what he's sharing. Oh, I don't think I have mentioned uh, the sort of how the, the idea for this class began. Uh, I had a mentor in college, Jim Brinkerhoff, and uh, when I interned under Jim, he always used to say, people don't care how you got the ideas for your sermon. He would always say that. Don't start your sermon telling how you got the idea for your sermon. Uh, but now that we're three weeks in, let me mention, uh, uh, a year and a half ago, I uh, was invited to be part of a panel for the Christian Scholars Conference. And the panel was on this idea of congregational science. So social scientists were invited to come and apply social science models to congregational life. And so uh, that was sort of the beginning of this. And I submitted a paper on church of origin and applying some of Bowen's ideas that we talked about a couple weeks ago to church life. And then in the end of that paper, I included a section calling for cooperation with other people that could sort of help flesh these ideas out further and help make practical applications. And so one group that I uh, named in that section was church leaders, and I'm really glad for the opportunity to be having these conversations now at Otter Creek, thanks to the leadership here. But another group that I solicited their help was theologians. And uh, George eventually took the bait. Uh, I think this came out of conversation we were actually having at summer camp, right? George and I have an office, like the distance from this classroom to two classrooms down. We're on the same hall, uh, but we've probably spent more time together at Otter Creek Camp than we have on campus. And so at camp last summer, in the midst of uh, heat-induced um, uh, hilarity or something, I, I uh, invited George uh, to think about this and shared this with him. And to my surprise, he acted interested. Now, maybe he was just being polite. But uh, one of the things that I mentioned at the time was I thought Galatians really had some things to say on this subject, and so uh, George started us thinking about that context last week, and uh, he's going to take the reins and kind of continue to move in that direction. Thanks, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this, and you know, it's really interesting, you, you read the text a certain way, you know, kind of, you've been trained to read it a certain way, and I, I, I enjoyed trying to 
read it through a different lens and think about maybe some of the social science behind what's going on in the New Testament. And because we know how it affects us now, but what we don't know enough about probably is what was all was going on in the ancient world. But it's interesting to, to read the text and then think through these. So as, as I go through this, when you have thoughts to, to sure. um, add, just add them in as we go. So we ended last time talking about this passage from 1 Corinthians, and then we're going to use this to branch into Galatians. Um, Paul says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible to the Jews. I became like a Jew to win the Jews. And see, Paul is a Jew, but he's, he's able to distance himself in some ways from his background, and now he kind of perceives himself to be maybe something different. Um, to the Jews, I became a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. And then he can't help himself, but... Uh, the parentheses, of course, added by an editor, but I think it makes sense here. Though I myself am not under the law. So he's, he's able to try to become all things to all men, um, but he, he can't help but say, in some ways, I am not under the law. Uh, to those not having the law, that would be the Gentiles, I became like one not having the law. And then he can't help himself again, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So, yeah, I'm, I act like I'm not having the law, but there is a sense in which I am still under God's law. Um, to the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share its blessings. So, in the context of 1 Corinthians, he's talking about how we have the freedom to uh, live our lives uh, in certain ways, uh, but he also he doesn't use his freedom just for himself. There are times he chooses not to do some things that he is free to do in order that he may be a witness to other people. Uh, but there are limits to this, and we see that in Galatians. Uh, he, we're going to switch to this passage where in Galatians 2, he has this confrontation with Peter. And what I, what I want us to think about is, he gets really, really upset with Peter and um, raises all kinds of questions for me about, you know, Peter's an apostle. Uh, I thought apostles always did the right thing, especially after Pentecost when they got the Holy Spirit. Uh, but apparently... Not so much, uh, at least in Paul's mind. Um, so he says, when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch. So Antioch's the church that is, is somewhat like Paul's sponsoring church, where he started his first mission trip. And they're the first ones that, in, in some big way, started including Gentiles in the church, along with the Jews. He says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, so this is James, the Lord's brother, in Jerusalem. Um, they came from James. There's you know, discussion about, were they really from James? Were they claim to be from James? And how does James, where's James on this spectrum? Uh, but before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision. 
So Paul is drawing a line here and saying that's too far. Uh, so when he's with the Jews, I guess he would he would be like a Jew. When he's with the Gentiles, he'd be like a Gentile. What do you do when you have Jews and Gentiles together? Mm-hmm. And Paul's like, then I can't I can't not eat with the Gentiles. Um, so the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas, that's Paul's, uh, you know, mission buddy that went out on the mission trip together. Uh, even Barnabas was led astray. So when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So, in Galatians, Paul thinks it is, it's a different gospel, he says in chapter 1. Uh, and he says, you know, even if, if I or an angel preaches a different gospel, uh, let them be cursed. So it's not, you know, it's interesting in that passage that it's the content of what the preacher says, not who the preacher is. Even if it's an angel, mm. you've got to check the content, right? It's the content of the gospel. Mm. And he's saying that that something about the gospel affects who you eat with, uh, how you practice table fellowship. So he's drawing a line here and saying, if you do not uh, accept Gentiles without circumcision, you are changing the gospel. So um, why? what is wrong with enforcing this rule of circumcision. Um, I have so many things running through my head. Let, let me let me uh, let me just stop and ask what questions or comments you have. Yeah. Well, I, I, the, the difference is, and, and this is the the, the, the through line from both sets of verses, is here it's the insiders versus the outsiders, and. The reason that Cephas, the, the, the insiders come in, and Cephas goes to the insiders, yeah. and Paul is saying, you, you, you go with the people who are coming in, not the people who are already in and trying to make the rules for everybody else. And it's the same thing that's going on in the Corinthians passage, because each of those each of the groups that he talks about becoming like is a group that is defined as how they are other from the church. And he becomes he becomes like the other. He becomes like the, I don't want to say lesser, but he becomes like the outsider to bring them into the, the inclusiveness yeah. of the church. Any other comments or questions at this point? Okay. Um, So he goes on to say, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles um, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So, 
Paul points out that the works of the law are limited in their effectiveness. Uh, I, I mean, I want to say a few words in defense of Peter and those that have been so used to the law, and they're so used to that being the way to show that you're in God's family, and at great cost. You know, the Jews were persecuted, and their their food laws are weird and different, and people are like, who are these weird people that don't eat pork and have all these special rules, and circumcision was a big deal, uh, and don't work on the on Saturday, and you know, so the Jews the Jews have had to resist that cultural pressure to, to be different. And so there's a lot of pressure to say we're special in these ways and have been for, for a long, long time. And now you're saying that the Gentiles don't have to do that. Um, so what is wrong with the works of the law? I didn't put this on the slide, but in, in chapter 3, Paul mentions that the law was like a um, some, it was like a servant who takes the kids to school. Um, so it was, it was put in place while we were young to give us guidance. But now that Jesus has come, we no longer need that. So the problem with the works of the law for Paul, it seems to be, partly, is that they, they weren't intended for all times and all places. And now that Jesus has come, we have Jew and Gentile together under a new set of rules, a new set of laws. Um, and for Gentiles, that those laws would not include circumcision and food laws and Sabbath keeping. Um, there is, you know, uh, we think of the Jews that Paul is resisting as just being legalists. Uh, and I want to defend them a little bit and say it's not, not that they're just legalists, it's that they're enforcing the wrong set of rules. Because for Paul, there's still rules that you need to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there's something about rules that can take on a legalistic, they, they come in, maybe contain within them the temptation to see the rules as the thing not the spirit of, of the law. So he says, we were once like children, slaves to the useless rules of this world. And if you want to check your own translation of Galatians 4, verse 3, there's lots of variation on how to translate this word. I, I, can I just um, briefly tell? Yeah. So this is, what did we just remember? Oh, contemporary English, maybe, yeah, version? Yeah. <laughs> Which I had included in the original paper. Uh, for this deep theological reason, it used the word rules. <laughs> and I shared the paper with Josh, and he had lots of positive feedback, but he said, what would it take to get you to not use the contemporary English version? <laughs> Josh Graves? Josh Graves. Josh Graves, yeah. Uh, but so it, it may translate different depending on what you're reading from. But I think the idea of rules is a pretty solid idea there. Yeah. So uh, the Greek word is stoicheia, which is not used a ton uh, in the New Testament. 
and outside the New Testament, it has a wide range of meaning. Um, but it, it's something along the lines of a basic principle. So he said, we, we were once like children slaves to basic <coughs> principles of the world. Mm. Uh, my teacher at Lipscomb, Dr. Floyd, uh, his understanding of this phrase was that it, it's the principle is I give that you might give, and that's kind of how we view God, is that God wants us to do, to keep the rules, so I, I'm giving so that I can get from God. So there's something about rules that contain within them, if you keep the rules, you, you deserve to get praise, or you deserve to get something from that. Um, and he says, and when Paul in this section is, is saying we, I think he's actually talking about Jews, and then he's going to say you, and he's referring to Gentiles. So there's a sense in which even the, the rules that the Jews were keeping made them slaves. Um, but when the right time came, God sent his son, he was born of a woman and lived under the law. God did this so that he could buy freedom from those who are under the law. And so we become his children. Since you are God's children, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, and the spirit cries out, Father... So now you are not a slave, you are God's child, and God will give you the blessing he promised because you are his child. In the past you did not know God. So this is, I think he's talking to Gentiles here. You were slaves to gods that were not real. But now you know the true God. Really it is God who knows you. So why are you turning back to these weak and useless rules? And that's that same word that you followed before. Do you want to be slaves to those things again? So there's something about following the rules, both as a Jew and as a Gentile, when they were worshiping pagan gods, uh, I'm making a sacrifice so that I can get something from God, that he says that we have been freed from through what Jesus has done on the cross. Um, So he says, my brothers and sisters, God called you to be free, but do not use your freedom as an excuse to do what pleases your sinful self. Serve each other with love. The whole law is made complete in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So there's still, there's still rules. Um, and that's kind of what I think we need to talk about some is, is what's the right place for rules. Um, Paul is really resistant to how Peter is acting and the people that are trying to enforce uh, the law, certain works of the law on the Gentiles. Um, but he goes on to say, and this is the last passage I have up here, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, uh, some of these, you know, it says acts of the flesh. The word flesh obviously means more than just your body because selfish ambition is more of a mental thing. Uh, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's still rules. There's still limits uh, that Paul mentions. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. We know the song, Patience, Goodness, Feelings, Self-Control. Uh, I'm so grateful for that song uh, as, a, as a kid. 
memorize that passage. Against such things there is no law. So I guess the idea I'd, I'd like for us to discuss is yeah. the idea of rules and what are the limits to rules. How do you evaluate? How do you evaluate a rule? What, what questions do you ask of a rule? Uh, interrogate. How do you interrogate or evaluate, uh, consider a rule, challenge a rule, right? Like, uh, if, if we were to come in and impose a new rule today for members of the Otter Creek Church, what sorts of questions would we have about that rule? And that's, it's not a rhetorical question. What, I mean, what, Is it fair? Okay. okay. What do you mean by that? Is it fair to everyone? Is it a fair rule? So do you see that like in Galatians because the Jews and Gentiles are... If, if we're going to have unity in the church, then there needs to be an acceptance of people who come from different backgrounds. Why do you need a rule in the first place? So what's the function or the purpose of it? Well, why, why is the rule being introduced? Because, I mean, fundamentally, everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. You don't need a rule. Okay. Because there's, you know, rules are made to kind of guide, hey, what he was talking about. When you're a kid, you need the rules because you don't know how things work. Mm -hmm. And so you put, you put a kid in the, in that set of rules to help them figure those things out mm -hmm. as as you learn how things work, the rules become less important and so one of the things that you have to ask if somebody is bringing in a new rule is what's going on here that we need this rule in the first place right. because somebody may be coming in and putting in a rule because they want something to happen the way they want it to happen yeah. may also be coming in for a, a more reasonable reason mm -hmm. that things are off track within the community and we need to kind of narrow the focus mm -hmm. so we can refocus on what's important before we begin to yeah. ignore the rule a little bit more. The purpose, the function, the intention of the rule, all of that sounds very important to what you're saying. Yeah. Did you hear Mr. Hunter say scripturally based? I did not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. So uh, authority, right? That uh, that that's that's about authority, right? Yes. yes. That that scripture holds an authority that uh, that other sources don't hold. Yes. So when I grew up, the church makes so many rules for people. Yes. Pants. Oh, because bowling requires pants? I hear you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right, sure. Sure. All right. So yeah, on on his authority, yeah. Um, I noticed up at the top, dissension and discord are mentioned twice. Okay. So is it something that we can 
divides people and causes dissension or discord. Which was certainly happening in the church in Galatia, right? Okay. But yeah. And he summarizes it one in two places before this and then also in love and the spirit in the gospel. I think it's referred to that way. So this is rooted as the motivation of this love in the heart of the gospel. Uh, heart for the gospel. Rooted in love. Rooted in the, the gospel. Paul harkens back to here. Right. Yeah. That, that, I think that's a good reminder. Here, did you want to weigh in? Yeah. I can see the conflict within you. I just can't shut up. <laughs> yeah. uh, so one thing that makes me think about is the Jews and, and Paul, uh, Peter and Stephen. If you, I try to put myself in their place. Sure. They have this long history and, and traditions and, yes, rules. Yeah. And their security is tied up and attached to that. Their yes. identity is attached yes. to that. Yes. And then someone comes along and suggests, you know, that the uh, designated hitter will come away. I'm switching it. Someone comes along and says, well, we're going to have new rules. And it immediately devalues for a lot of them and threatens a lot of them and their security because, well, wait, 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 we generations, we've invested in this and this is the way, now you're just going to come along and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. We're going to do something else. So I think getting over that that period of letting people adjust to that that had value, this, but you can't tell people this shouldn't be threatening to you because rules aren't just something that happens when you say, here it is in print, it's going to happen this way. They're human beings and they're, they're going to have an emotional reaction even the prospect of changing roses. So now they need to change right. and maybe that's maybe that's sort of underneath all of this and as we have to be we have to sort of expect change and be able to change and not be so rigid and set in our ways and so forth. But still that doesn't take out that that emotional side of it where right. I I've invested all my life and my parents and grandparents before them in Doing this this way, you, you're just going to pull pull the rug out underneath you. Now, I'm, I'm not saying they. I'm just saying I think that's a reality. How a lot of them would probably respond. We respond today. It that's is. That's just my opinion. No, and I no, I appreciate you bringing that up. And I intend to actually. I'm going to allude to something that I intend to unpack further in a future week of this class. But in family systems theory. The word for that is homeostasis, which essentially means systems resist change. 
Universities resist change. Corporations resist change. Churches resist change. Families resist change. Systems resist change. And um, I, I can think about so many conversations I've had with clients over the years where they have a, a distorted belief. Something that they've held for a long time. Yeah. And that conversation, you've believed this about yourself for 20 years. We're not going to undo it in 20 minutes. Right? Which I, I, I'm sure you can relate to that. And even that if they well. make the change later on, when stressors hit, rather than you've, yeah. what, you revert back to yeah. it without even thinking about it or meaning to it. Yeah, which so. we, we will also unpack further. The, the relationship between stress and retreating into the old way, right, is something we will definitely talk about now. Yeah, because yeah. it seems like Peter, you know, Peter had Cornelius, he had all that, that revelation and that experience, but now he's in a, another situation and it's, you know, we can't psychoanalyze, we don't have enough information, but, um, you know, things in Jerusalem were probably tense between the Jews and people who were who are intent on the law and the ones who aren't. And uh, Peter just gets pulled into that yeah. and, and wants to kind of protect himself. Yeah. And, you know, he had been arrested, put in prison, maybe recently, we don't know the exact timeline, so it's, it's hard to know all the reasons, but it is surprising how he, and then, you know, Paul calls him on it, and it's surprising how quickly he reverts back to the way something that he should have known better. Yeah, absolutely. You know, w one thing, uh, when I think about rules, uh, something I generally find to be true is that rules are often, and not necessarily always, but often attempted solutions to problems that we're having. And we're having a problem, we have a concern, we have an issue, right? How do we solve that? Let's put a rule in place, right? Um, uh, apparently, there's a, some sort of problem with people bowling in unchristian ways, right? And so we, we need. To, I love that example. We need to. We need to put a. We need to solve this problem. How do we solve this problem? We put a rule in place. But sometimes the rules that we put in place to solve problems unintentionally either maintain those very problems, right, or they can create uh, new problems. And, and I, I appreciate what was said earlier. You know, I don't know who put this rule in place when it was put in place. Uh, sometimes the rules were put in place generations before, and we don't have all the context. So you remember last week, those of you who were here last week, you know, I asked you to share some examples of rules uh, not from uh, your church experience necessarily, but just family of origin rules. And we, we put a list on the board. So I was doing a um, similar activity with a group of undergraduates uh, a few years ago. And somebody raised their hand and they said, never buy a used car. That was a rule in their family. Never buy a used car. And I, I thought about that. And, and I, I don't know, right, but I would guess, if I had to guess, somebody at some point 
in the family line, bought a used car, it didn't work out, and so that got codified over time as a rule. We, you know, in the, we in the Smith family do not buy used cars, right? What was interesting about that is in that same class, when that student said that, another student raised their hand and said, yeah, but in my family, the rule was, right, never buy a new car. <laughs> Probably the same thing, right? Somebody at some point in the family bought a new car, it depreciated, they got upside down in the payments, we're never going to make that mistake again. We're, we, are, we don't buy new cars, right? And I thought about that. I thought about uh, what it would be like if those two people had met under some other circumstance. And they had fallen in love. And they had gotten married. And they, they came into the, you know, they come into the relationship with their two cars that they had in school, right? But eventually, one of those cars is not going to go any further. And we need to replace one of those cars, right? And Saturday rolls around and somebody says, let's go to the dealer and look at cars, right? And, and their partner says, the dealer? <laughs> you want to go to the dealer? And they said, well, what would you rather do? Buy it from some stranger off Facebook? Before you know it, right, they're calling each other names <laughs> over something that's at least one generation, right, maybe two, maybe three generations old. Probably an attempt to solve a problem, right? But it may be maintaining or the problem or, or creating new ones. Uh, another example to ground that in a church context. Uh, many years ago now, um, maybe maybe... 35 years ago or so, uh, I was attending this youth rally in, um, I won't name the congregation, but, but I'll name the region, southern Georgia, southernmost Georgia, uh, not quite Florida, Georgia, right? And um, the, a, a problem, a problem was occurring. And it was manifesting in two ways. People were at times uh, applauding, or in, in, when there was worship or a singing group, they were clapping in rhythm. Rhythm is a loose term, but they were clapping. <laughs> Neither of, but both of these, to the leadership at this particular church that was hosting this youth rally, and for some of you are like, what in the world is he talking about? Trust me, these were issues in some of the churches that some of us grew up in. That, that was seen as problematic. And so, I, I imagine the church leadership got together and sort of, we need to do something about this, right? So they created a rule, and I remember, um, you know, a... a, a person getting, well, let's be honest, a man getting up and saying, um, saying, here's what we're going to do. When we 
want to show our appreciation for something, I'm going to get up and count us off. And on the count of three, we're going to give one big clap. <laughs> you think I'm making it up. That is a, that is a true story. Okay, so, so, so one big clap. All right, so no applause, because that was problematic from that, their perspective. You know, no clapping along, problematic, right? But we're going to do this in unison and decently and in order. And we're going to give one, two, three, one big clap. You can imagine the awkwardness. Um, there was a singing group from Faulkner University there called Cornerstone, and I had a buddy that sang with them. And he and I laughed about this in the years thereafter. But Cornerstone would get up and sing a song. The song would end. So they, yay. One, two, three. <laughs> that is a 100% true story. Now, um, it's funny. I mean, we should, we should laugh because it's a funny story. But to be fair... Right, uh, George was trying to be fair earlier, right, to, to Peter. To be fair, uh, I, I, to give them the benefit of the doubt, I believe there was a sincere, sincerely held belief among some in leadership that what was happening was problematic. They attempted to solve the problem, right? They came up with this particular rule. But I also believe that one big clap maintained the problem or created new ones because I think they would have said we don't want applause, we don't want clapping along because it's a distraction. Now how distracting was it, right? For him to pop up every time, right? <laughs> and have one day clap. Well intentioned attempts to solve problems often maintain those problems or create new ones. So uh, we're we're moving here toward talking about other examples of rules in churches. And uh, it was important to George and I that we establish some of this context. Uh, because we don't, neither of us have an agenda where there's particular rules we're trying to talk you into or out of. But uh, I do have some um, results from an informal survey that I did of uh, folks who are involved in churches ask them to give me examples of rules. I think we're ready to probably start sharing those next week and uh, and continuing our conversation. Anything else you want to say today, George? Okay. Um, we are out of time. Thank you so much for being here. It means, uh, means so much, uh, your engagement and your interest, and we look forward to continuing next week.